0: Hey guys, G Man here. Thank you so much for downloading episode 7 of the Bullpen Cart. Really excited because we're finally on iTunes. So if you haven't yet, go like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Really excited to say that. Can't say it enough. Tell all your friends about it. Let us know what you think. Leave a review, leave a comment, give us any feedback that you have, what you like, what you don't like. But most importantly, Enjoy episode 7. It's just me tonight because Matty D starts a new job tomorrow. So good luck, Matt. But enjoy episode 7. Here we go. Welcome to the bullpen cart. It is Monday, April 10th, and I am recording this late night. Matty D starts a new job tomorrow, so he bailed on doing our week 1 recap with me. And I went to the Flyers game earlier tonight, which we'll uh, talk about in a second. Went with my buddy Jeff, had a bunch of t- friends in town from Lehigh this weekend. Really good time, decided at the last minute while we were watching the fourth round of the Masters that we'd try to go down and go to the game. Bought some tickets pretty cheap and had a really good time there. But let's uh, let's talk about the Masters before we jump into the recap of week one of the Major League Baseball season. Sergio Garcia captured his first major title, the Green Jacket. In his 74th major start, that was the 4th highest in the history of the PGA Tour. Pretty cool comp- accomplishment to you know win the Green Jacket. Not a huge Sergio fan myself. He won in that first playoff hole over Justin Rose, a guy that I really like. He won, uh, of course, in Marion in the U.S. Open in 2013. So I've, I've heard a lot of good things about him. And while he is a Brit, do have a little bit of a the Philly tie there. So maybe a little bit of bias. Um, but it was—I mean—it was a cool experience to watch. We um, jumped down on the subway around the time that they uh, moved over to the 16th hole, missed 16, 17, got into the Wells Fargo Center as the 18th hole started. And I actually uh, tweeted this out, but it looked like probably about 75% of the people that were at the Flyers game were sitting in this bar that's in the middle of the the stadium, watching not only the 18th hole but the playoff hole. So it was uh, fun to see there. And it was it was uh you know we walk into the bar two balls sitting next to each other on the on the fairway Justin Rose puts his to about twenty feet and I turn to my buddy next to me and say you know Sergio's got to put it to fifteen in order to even have a shot at, uh, at tying him of course he does and both of them whiff their putts go to extra holes Justin Rose kind of he shot himself out of it with that drive to you know to punch out and then Sergio. Lights out. Birdie's the first playoff hole. Captures his first green jacket. A lot of people have a similar opinions, um, but everybody was happy to see him ultimately take that first green jacket. You know, he's done a lot of stuff to rub people the wrong way, but ultimately, you know, seeing a guy who's you know, really grinded away at it, and especially on a on that you know that long and and that. I don't want to say illustrious, but that long of a career where he's really, he's grinded it out and, and he's finally pulled it off. Good for Sergio. But um, other notes on the tournament, a guy I'm a huge fan of, Rory, he didn't really shoot himself out of it. Um, and he almost shot himself into it, but he was even through three, three rounds. He went even on Thursday, one over Friday, one under Saturday. Could never really totally get it going. He had a couple really brilliant spots where he, Almost was able to put a couple, you know, a couple birdie streaks in play. Three under today. So, I mean, you know, do that four days in a row and you, you win the tournament by three by three strokes. Sergio and Justin Rose tying it nine under. You know, but it was a weird tournament. Um, it was fun to watch. Thursday was just, it was so tough for the guys to really get it going. Of course, Charlie Hoffman had a really nice start. Um, but. With that wind and, and cold weather making the course just play so much longer, you definitely had to really watch and, and wait it out in terms of seeing who would ultimately arrive, you know, arise to the occasion. And it was it was nice to see both Sergio and Justin do that. Other guys that, that finished up there, Charles Schwartzel, who actually was too over to uh, <coughs> start the tournament, got himself up there. Thomas Peters, who was um, – the early early leader, you know, never really got out of it. Despite the fact that he went three over on Saturday, he had two posted two sixty eights on Friday and Sunday. Ultimately, to finish in in uh, five under, Matt Kuchar also finished five under. He had that awesome hole in one on the sixteenth hole. He and Rory, uh, I believe, are in the same group, and it was it was cool to see. It was it's um, something that I saw that um, I believe it's ten. Ten of the last eleven years, somebody's shot a hole in one on the on the sixteenth hole. Um, but but fun to watch Adam Scott, who looked like he could possibly put something together. Um, you know, he um, shot a seventy three and, and ultimately finishes two under behind Rory. But that's something where again, you know, he started with a seventy five and you know it's, it's it's just that Thursday was a tough round. to Really get a barometer of who could go where, but that's what makes the Masters so cool. It's that early, that early April tournament. You know, up here, of course, in in the Northeast, we get crazy weather where it's you, know, you can see snow on a baseball stadium to start to start the year. Sometimes you see it in Georgia, and this happened to be one of those times. But I would think it's a um, not necessarily the best barometer to, to go forward with the PGA Tour, but it's it's certainly something to be excited about. I'd say. Um, obviously, the Masters is the Masters, but it's going to be something cool to, to uh, you know tell your friends about it in terms of watching that playoff because it was it was such an exciting finish and that's something that that um, you know the Masters has I don't want to say it's gotten its complaints but you've had a couple tournaments you know in 2014 and 15 particularly with uh, Bubba and Jordan running away with it that. You know, haven't been as exciting, and it was nice to see a playoff kind of come back into the fold. But speaking of Bubba, he, Zach Johnson, both missed the cut. A couple other guys do. Henrik Stenson, which was a pretty big shock after his really good 2016, of course, winning the British Open. The guy that everybody was talking about was Dustin Johnson, who fell down the stairs because he was uh, allegedly wearing socks on hardwood floors. A lot of different <laughs> conspiracy theories flying around about what necessarily happened, but you know, hopefully Dustin comes back to a speedy recovery soon. But moving on, mentioned being at the Flyers game. Want to talk about this pretty quickly? Uh, it was their final home game in a uh, up and down to say the least, 2016-17 season. Uh, Flyers ultimately losing a shootout and actually in a fun game against the Carolina Hurricanes, but. It was um. It's been a fun season to watch, despite the really really shitty run that they've gone through in 2017. But the, you've seen a lot of rookies come up, a lot of rookies do well. You've seen Travis Konechny have an, an up and down year. Ivan Provorov become one of the better defensemen um, on the team, along with Shane Goss Who he really he almost he almost was the the epitome of the team in terms of his play having some, some streaks, having some really cold streaks. The Flyers, of course, had a 10-game winning streak. By the time the, the calendar turned over to 2017, they really they really just couldn't keep it up. And they show their youth pretty quickly. And it's something where you don't want to see them peak on a, uh, on a long-term basis, but... It's good going forward, and it'll be exciting to see them develop. But um, let's let's move on to the, the main show. Baseball is back, and let's let's all be 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 excited for it. Um, the first week was was pretty awesome to say the least. Um, but. It's it's always great to have baseball back, and I'll you know I'll talk about the Phillies a little bit, of course, being a big Phillies fan, and I have uh, some of my own reserved opinions about about how the first week went. But let's start on the general basis. Teams who won, you have uh, once again the Cincinnati Reds who post a four and two record through the first week of baseball last year. I think they were five and one, so another hot start from the Reds. They um, actually. You know, did it both on the road and at home, two and one, and it's it, you know, it's it's something to see there. They they did this in St. Louis. They went two and one. The Cardinals starting the season out two and four, but it's definitely not sustainable. Matt and I both, I believe, had had them finishing in fifth, and that that's something that while you see them plus eight on the run differential scale, it's something that's definitely not sustainable. But another team that we both had our mixed opinions about who is the hottest team to start the year that's the Arizona Diamondbacks they're six and one so props to them for one for playing a game every single day of this week um, but they also scored a ton of runs they scored 48 runs which is good enough for the most in Major League Baseball the only team that that uh, even got close for the LA Dodgers who scored 40 they let up 29 runs. All of these happen at Chase Field, which is a pretty long ballpark, so you got to have some props there. But it's 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 something where they've done this now, and you might now start to think: Is it possible they can they can keep this going? It's you've seen great starts from a lot of their players, and you know we I, I, I believe Matt was a little more bullish on them being sellers call Goldschmidt being the, the big one to, you know, to talk about on whether or not they would sell. But when you see the Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians, it's a, it's a good sign in terms of things to come, at least for the year. Of course, you don't want to be, you know, it's not the biggest barometer cause we're only talking seven games in, but when you win three or four against the giants and three games against the Indians, it's definitely a good sign. And I think if they can, Keep it going through April. It's they're definitely a team to watch. They play the Giants this week, so that's something you should definitely keep your eye out for. Uh, day game tomorrow. It looks like um, the rest of the games you'll probably have to just check out on ESPN or Yahoo, whatever your uh, your source is, or MLB.com for for baseball scores. But that's definitely something you should look out for. Another team team that that sort of disappointed me in terms of their start is my pick for the the AL West. That's the Seattle Mariners who. Started the season all on the road, one and six. They, um, yeah, it's it's disappointing to see not a lot of runs scored, but that that can happen with that lineup that's so heavily uh, balanced or not balanced, so heavily <laughs> dependent on guys like Nelson Cruz, on uh, Robbie Cano, but. Then again, they're playing. They played in Houston, so it's it's not out of the question to see them lose three or four there, especially with that Houston team. That's that's pretty good. The thing that shocked me though is that they went to LA and lost out there. Um, excuse me for those of you that heard that. <laughs> but the fact that they get swept out in LA, especially the fact that the, the Mariners can blew a seven run lead in the ninth inning or six run lead as the as the uh the Angels scored seven runs in the ninth to win 10-9 today or Sunday it's something that that's concerning um in terms of you know you want your bullpen to do well but again these are probably the the, the overreaction machine is is certainly in full force especially when i don't have a foil to, to bounce it off of me, but I don't necessarily like to see that sort of stuff, especially against a team like the Angels that, while they can hit the ball really well, they aren't necessarily a team that if you, you're winning 9-2 or 9-3, you should be putting them away. It's not something that they're a team that, that can, boom, put out seven runs, Um but then again, we've seen that from some other teams, and, and we'll get there in a second. But let's give out some individual awards here. Um, for those that that, I, that I've talked to about this, the individual awards are going to be named after uh, baseball players from movies. So let's start with the, the easy one. We're going to do the Roy Hobbs, which is the MVP. Roy Hobbs, of course, being from the National. I'm going to give mine to um, Salvador Perez, who hit four home runs this week did pretty well. He of course is uh, is a member of the Kansas City Royals. Is pretty good catcher in general in terms of his fielding. Not necessarily known for his hitting. Hit 4 home runs this week, batted 292. All of them were solo shots, so didn't really put put across a lot of runs on the board. The Royals are only 4 and 2 right now, so not necessarily the you know the catalyst to a great start from Kansas City, but it's certainly something where the the positioning of catching is such a fielding heavy position. So to see a catcher go off on a good week, four home runs is is pretty damn impressive. So good for you, Salvador. You get my uh, my pick for <laughs> the Roy Hobbs Award. Moving over to the to the um. Billy Chapel, which is the pitcher of the week, almost the the Cy Young of the week. You want to give it to a guy like Madison Bumgarner and his two home runs last week, and that's that's a pretty big you know props to you, Madison Bumgarner. I could give it to you, Johnny, to your teammate Johnny Cueto and his two wins. But the guy I'm pretty optimistic for, and it's it's almost a crime that I haven't mentioned anywhere in the vicinity of the Chicago Cubs yet. But I'm gonna give my my um, Billy Chappell, award to Jake Arietta who posted out a pretty great week 2-0 with a 2.08 ERA and 16 strikeouts which is pretty it's just pretty awesome and he's thrown 13 innings so that's you know a good you know, good return to form if you will he also has posted less than a 1 whip uh, walks hits plus in, walks plus hits over innings pitched so that mean, basically that's an idea of how many base runners you're letting up an inning and he's letting up less than one. So I think it's a good sign for the Cubs and for Jake Arrieta that he's getting it going. And, you know, that's, that's my guy. It's my, my uh, <laughs> Billy Chapel pitcher of the week. Moving on. We're going to go to the, we gave the, we gave the hot teams, gave the cold teams, Want to give out Rookie of the Week award, which is the Henry Roan Gardner, which of course is speaking of the Cubs from the movie Rookie of the Year. But my Rookie of the Week is going to go to Jesus Aguilar. I really butchered the the, uh, the Hispanic last name there, but uh, he plays for the Milwaukee Brewers. For those of you who don't know, he's a first baseman, batted four thirty-eight for the week with two... Two runs, two RBI, on-base percentage and slugging percentage, both of 500. So his OPS is 1,000 for the week. Obviously a pretty good start. Other rookies you should look out for. The big one, big name being Andy Benatendi, the Boston Red Sox outfielder, who hit a bomb on opening day. Um we also got from the Seattle Mariners. We have Mitch Haniger, who hit three home runs during the week, so he's another one to look out for. Aaron Judge, great, great first week in the bigs. One homer, not necessarily the best batting average, um, but he, you know, he at least was able to control it a little better than Haniger. Haniger had ten strikeouts, so definitely a, a big swing, swing guy, uh, swinging a miss or swinging slam it type of guy, but. The rookies are always fun to watch. Here on the pitching side of it, you have a few different guys. You have Freeland over in Colorado, Garrett in Cincinnati, the duo from the A's, Alcantara, Alcantara, excuse me, who doesn't necessarily do pretty well. Um, same thing with Cotton, but they're certainly guys to watch out for. Um, but a lot of the you know the rookie pitchers. Of course, like anybody, it just takes a little time. So, you know, those are the rookies. The Henry Rowan Garner, for me at least, goes to Aguilar, I think is how I'm going to say it's pronounced. If anybody has the correct pronunciation, please send it my way. Uh, That's by Henry Rowan Garner. Uh, My Crash Davis Award, which is going to be for the minor leagues, is going to be for J.P. Crawford, who has struggled a little bit, but I want to at least keep it. Just someone I know a little more because the minors started a, oh, started on Friday. So I, so I want to just keep it with someone I, that I am a little more familiar with who is the Phillies' top prospect, plays for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs currently. He's a shortstop. And over the weekend, still struggling. So it's tough to give him the award. I, you can look up his uh, one for 15 weekend But a guy that you should definitely keep an eye out for. I know the stat line right now doesn't sound particularly great. But he'll at least get a little more acclimated to it as the season goes on. The Phillies may or may not call him up this year. Freddie Galvis has had a pretty good start to the season, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, Crawford's a guy that you're going to be hearing a lot in the Philadelphia Phillies organization, probably in 2018 and going forward. But... That being said, let's talk about the Phillies. I'm gonna keep it pretty short here. The Phils had a uh, an interesting opening week. They lost two of three in Cincinnati, and then won two of three in their home opening weekend against the Washington Nationals. Opening day four three win went pretty well. Um, they were up four one until the ninth inning, when Jenmar Gomez led up two runs, and sort of the bookend, and not two sort of, but two bookend of the week. The Phillies had a 3-0 lead going into the ninth inning, and Jenmar Gomez led up two base runners and then a three-run shot from Ryan Zimmerman. The Phillies ultimately walk off from a Cesar Hernandez single in the bottom of the ninth inning. But, I mean, I've talked about this a little bit on the blog, for those of you that have read it, but Jenmar, I think it's his time to no longer be the Phillies' closer. You have Hector Neres, who's been great as a setup man, who I think it's it's his time to move over into that closer role. He actually had started it uh, last year, and he and Jenmar were potentially going to split it at that at that last year or at that point last year. And Jenmar had a pretty hot start until about the middle of May. Jenmar then had a really really tough time for the rest of the season. Ultimately, to, to have his closer title stripped, he won it back in spring training. And I think he's quickly on the the route to having it stripped once again. So that's my take on it. Have have Hector Neris take over, but the, for the rest of the week, um, Jared Eichoff two solid starts on or one solid start, excuse me, on uh, what last Wednesday in Cincinnati where he threw, threw a pretty good pretty good game. Phillies ultimately lose when Eichoff throws a. Hanging curveball that just gets taken deep by Joey Votto. Then on uh, on Thursday, Clay Buckle's first game, which he actually looked he looked okay up until he let up four runs in one inning. Phillies were leading 4-0, then it's 4-4. Phillies ultimately lose 7-4. Friday, uh, home opener, the Phillies looked like they were just going to get Crushed and they actually made it a little interesting. Freddie Galvis hit not, hit another home run for the Phillies to bring it close, but they ultimately drop it seven six. Phillies go ham on Saturday night, twelve run first inning, ultimately win seven three. And then I went over today the four three law or four three win against the Nationals. Three and three week to start, probably about what you would have thought. I might have thought it was two two of three in Cincy. Lose two of three in Philly, but you yeah, know, I'll take it. They're technically tied for the lead in <laughs> the NL East going into a uh, into week two, where they'll play the Nationals. Uh, should be going down tomorrow night, Dollar Dog Night should be pretty exciting. I uh, I always like to try to see the the Mets. Talked about that in the the NL East preview. Um, that they're a fun team to watch, especially in Philadelphia. It's actually a pretty good mix of Phillies and Mets fans because it's not. So far to go down. I'll be seeing Jared Ichikoff, which is why I, I, for whatever reason, my brain at this late hour of the night thought he had two two starts. But Jake, Jacob Degrom will be on the on the mound for the Mets, so I'm pretty excited to see him there. Um, but yeah, that, that Mets team—they're also three and three. They um, they've played all their games at Citi Field. And they're hitting the road now. Uh, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I we've talked about this. I have them finishing second, but. Another guy that I could easily have given the the uh, Billy Chapel Award to was uh, Noah Syndergaard, who an absolute dominant pitcher, and he um, he got a win tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. But he between the fastball and that slider is just sometimes is just unhittable at times, and he can get himself out of any jam. And it, he showed it on Opening Day. He looked like it tonight. And he's uh, definitely on the campaign to the Cy Young, and I think it's it's pretty easy to see that. And uh, before we get to the week ahead and the stadium snacks and, and all that good stuff, did want to address a question we got from a good friend of ours of the podcast, Joe Martinez. Joe Mart, who um, wanted to know a little more about how the MLB does their scheduling, which – it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you play about eighteen or nineteen games against teams within your division. Three home game, you know, three series at home against one team. Three away at that team's stadium, and then a home and away against teams within your league. So in the other two divisions, then uh, interleague is where it gets a little tricky. The divisions basically rotate on who plays whom every single year the one exception or rather not exception but the sixth interleague series that you play or sixth interleague team i should say and i'll get to why this why i phrase it that way in a second is usually locked in and the the easiest at least to make to make sense of it is to talk about the teams that are one of two within a city chicago la new york um, the reason for that is that Major League Baseball refers to it as natural rivals. And as I say that, I use it with quotation marks because for teams that are outside of the same city, same state, it's bullshit. <laughs> um, but basically how it works, you probably have seen this once in the last four years. But your team and your their natural rival will play a home-and-home four-game series. So they played two games in City A, the other two in City B. And the reason why it's bullshit outside of a New York, Boston, Chicago, the Missouri teams have always been their own nat- natural rivals, and that makes sense. The Bay Area teams, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but the the big thing with with why this is bullshit is, is that for the teams that, that fall out of there, it doesn't really make any sense. The Phillies have changed who's their, who their natural rival is. Originally it was the Red Sox. It then became the Toronto Blue Jays. I went back to the Red Sox. It was then the Orioles one year. So the Red Sox this year. So really, it, it doesn't make any sense, um, especially the one year that it was the Orioles because they have the Nationals, um, especially in a year where the NL and AL or the NL East and the AL East played together and they still have the they had the Red Sox, but then they play randomly an extra two-game series in the beginning of the season against a team outside of the division, outside of that division, I should say, and then another two-game series at home against that division as well, which is why it's I changed from saying six a sixth series, because technically there are seven. Um It just gets a little confusing there. Um, I've always thought, at least for the Eastern teams, that it should be the two New York teams, the two, the Washington-Baltimore, the two Florida teams, then the Blue Jays and the Phillies because of the 1993 World Series, which doesn't really make any sense for natural rivals purposes. But then when you think about the fifth pairing of the Red Sox and the Braves, the Braves started in Boston, so that at least makes some sense for historical purposes. Um, but let's look at the week coming up here before we move on. Actually, you know what? Let's, we'll do that to close up shop. Let's, um, let's move on. We got some, some stadium snacks for you guys. The one that I wanted to give as a honorary slash, uh, the anti stadium snacks was Maddie D and I found a, (laughs) um, pretty interesting exact, the Seattle, the Seattle Mariners, are offering to their fans, um, it's a little uh, little interesting, to say the least. The Seattle Mariners are offering toasted grasshoppers at Safeco Field, which, um, you know, it's a uh, a -a one-of-a-kind snack, is what they're calling it. But (laughs) it's offered by a local Mexican restaurant, uh, Poquitos will be serving these grasshoppers tossed in a chili lime salt, which that, that could be tasty at least. Um, I could imagine that these, because the word toasted in there, that these are probably pretty crunchy. Um, and I'm not really sure what else. Whenever a any sort of bug gets crushed, it's, it's kind of gross. Couldn't imagine myself eating this, but if anybody out there in in Seattle does happen to taste it, let us know and even, uh, you know, send a review of it and we'll be more than happy to read it on the podcast. But, um, yeah, those, those kind of stadium snacks, um, which they're advertising is gluten free. I'm reading here. Um, you know, it's definitely something that, that it it looks like it's a, a, a good cuisine in Mexico. Um. Not something that's necessarily moved to the U.S. yet, but it's um, it's interesting to say the least. Uh, but again, if anybody does try it, let us know, and we will gladly talk about that snack on the bullpen cart. Uh, but the real stadium snacks or stadium snack of this week that I wanted to talk about is at City Field and it looks pretty amazing. It's called Cookie Dough. D-O and it looks like an O with a, a little line on top of it. But it is, it looks incredible. It is a, it's basically just Cookie Dough that's that, what they're calling it on Thrillist is the link I'm finding which will be on the, uh, the blog post on Thunderblog. It's Cookie dough that's safe to eat. I mean, everybody loves to eat cookie dough, either out of the tubes that, you know, that Toll House gives or the tubs that some people can buy if you buy your, make your cookies more in bulk. But it's pretty awesome that's finally marketed in a, quote-unquote, safe way that we can consume. Um, and me being a, a big dessert guy and, and loving cookies just in general, it's cool to see this coming there. They have cookie dough sandwiches. Um, hurito ice cream sandwiches, I, could, I should say. Um, but it looks like they're having chocolate chip, cake batter, confetti, um, at the sampling that they had. Um, but it's definitely exciting to, to see that, and it might be a uh, time for me to make my first trip up to City Field. So that's my stadium snack of the week. I, uh, again I'll put that link up on the blog that'll have the uh, the SoundCloud. SoundCloud uh, clip of, or SoundCloud, of this episode of the bullpen cart. But um, I don't necessarily have a beer for you guys this week. That's usually something that Matt D puts together himself. But I did go to Evil Genius. He talked about that a little bit in, on a previous episode. But I can definitely attest for a lot of what Matt was talking about. The beer was delicious. Um, you know, a little more of the, the fancier side of, of beers for you. But the, the atmosphere is super cool. Definitely looks like what something that would have been an old abandoned factory that's just been turned into a beer garden or beer garden type environment. Um, one thing that I did think was interesting was there – it's a pretty wide open space, but towards the back of the building, they have a, a big window that – not even a window. It's just a cut-out open space that has what looks like a patio in the back, and there were a few people out there drinking a few beers. So my friends and I thought it was a – an opportune moment to go step outside and check out what the, the back area was. Well, we, one of the people we get, get out there. And and one of the people who's, who's out there turns and immediately goes, Oh no, 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 no. this is, this area isn't for drinking. Must've been a guy that worked there, but it was interesting. I mean, you had beers literally sitting there that they had obviously just consumed or that other people were putting on this ledge that separated what looked like a big open window to this outdoor space, and it's an easily doable outdoor space that maybe they're they're building out. So definitely something to keep an eye out for. Uh, but it was just a little interesting experience there. But thought it was really funny. They also had a looks like a, a manager, the manager's room looks like it's up. It looks like it's on the second floor above the space where everybody's drinking, almost like a, a manager's room in a, in in a factory. Um, the one thing that comes to mind is from the the old Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, where Verunka Salt's dad is overseeing the the workers opening all the chocolate bars to get a golden ticket. Uh, how his office was you know above above all the workers kind of looked like that, which I thought was funny. But if you're in if you're in Philly, I've done a done of different different beer areas have been around for a while. Guards Brewery is one of my favorites. But definitely check out Evil Genius. The beer is pretty good. Um, a couple of the beers Matt talked about weren't available then, so that's also pretty cool to see that it's on rotation. Really wanted to try the Trust the Process IPA, but it wasn't available. So definitely we'll, uh, we'll have to go back again. Hopefully I can see it out there. Um, but moving on, want to talk about a Bleacher Creature. Put this up on my own personal Facebook page. But this is pretty pretty awesome. Uh, yesterday at the Minnesota Twins game, a couple of guys were sitting, or it looked like maybe three or four guys were sitting first row near the first base dugout, and with their beer, with their beer cups, were playing flip cup on the the ledge that that's right in front of their seats. You can see it as a right-handed batter would step out of the box, and they'd just show, you know, the the batter's stats—you can see it right to the to the right of his shoulder, to so the left on the on the the TV screen. Just th- three or four guys playing flip cup: one guy in a Twins jersey, another guy in a University of Minnesota hockey jersey, another guy in a Minnesota Duluth hockey jersey. So they must have been supporting the Frozen Four. Which shout out to Denver winning the national championship in D one last night. Um, but it's it's really funny. I'm going to try to find a way to get a link for that because MLB memes put it up and I believe they did that as their own video. So I'm going to try to find that to either put on the Twitter or on this, uh, this post on the, on the Thunder blog. So keep an eye out for that. But you can definitely imagine a guy stepping out of the box and to the right of him on the, on this or to the left of him on the screen, seeing just three guys sitting, chugging beer and, and playing flip cup. And it's hilarious. And right now, I, I definitely say they're they're in the running for Bleacher Creature of the Year, um, and it's pretty hilarious. So I'm going to try to find that video for you guys. But let's um, we're going to wrap things up, looking at the week ahead in terms of week two of the Major League Baseball season. Really want to try to give you guys an idea of what's going on in the in the season and what to look forward to, both for your own personal fan needs um, as well as if you're a baseball, if you're a baseball or fantasy baseball guy and you want to get an idea of maybe who to start. I'm in a, I'm in a league that does weekly lineups. So it's something where, you know, I definitely try to look forward on to those you know those upcoming games so that we can try to get an idea of, or I get an idea of who I'm setting up. But anyway, I'm rambling too much. Um, some weekday series to keep an eye out for, the Phillies-Mets. For me, at least, that's something that should be interesting. Phillies-Mets is always a fun one to keep an eye out for. The um, the Diamondbacks travel to San Francisco, and this normally wouldn't be one that I'd say, you know, gotta watch out for, but given how hot the Diamondbacks have been to start the season, it's certainly something to, to think about. Uh, the day game tomorrow and some... Uh, night game action as the week goes on. So like I said earlier, definitely one year and a half to uh, check in the morning. But the uh, AL East has the Orioles and the Red Sox playing this week. Looks like Drew Pomerantz is scheduled to finally make his first start this year, start the season on the DL. So that'll be exciting. You also got the Chicago White Sox moving over to Cleveland, which not necessarily the best Series, but it'd be interesting to see how James Shields does. You know, it's he's been a train wreck since really leaving the uh, the Royals a couple of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see if this year, first full year in Chicago, can be can be a, a nice rebound for him. Later on in the week for the weekend series, uh, stuff you guys should watch out for. Excuse me, is going to be on your Easter weekend. So if you have a time, you have a little bit of time to pull yourself away from the, all the family time. Uh, The pirates are going to be in Chicago, which that's always a, anything in the NL, NL central, especially with the Cubs is going to be fun to watch. And the pirates have started off pretty well. They've looked good. And the Cubs, of course, pretty good four and two to start the year. And they could really start to either pull away early or be, Really competitive, so this is a pivotal series in terms of that start. Of course, it's only week two, but never too early to start talking about the potential to, you know, distance yourself from other teams. Other series next weekend to, to take a look out for. I'm going to give it to Texas at Seattle. Uh, we've talked about we talked about before Seattle necessarily so the best start, but this is definitely a series where you can help turn that around and keep it going in terms of. You're getting back into that race because like you know, like we're talking about here, that you might not be playing yourself out of contention, but you certainly don't want to be so far behind that there's so much to dig up. You hear about one or two teams being able to do that every season, but you never want that to be you. So that's something that I certainly think, especially at home in Seattle, that the Mariners can capitalize on. Um, another one that I at least have some interest in would be I um, hate to use the same team again, but the Orioles in Toronto, same concept there. Their two teams played each other in the playoffs last year. Probably going to be battling for that number two spot in the AL East. Uh, Greg the Prophet, Pietelli doesn't think so, but I do. Maybe potentially a wild card spot there. Could be fun to watch and potentially seeing another p- preview of the wild card for this year. Um, so that's one that I would look out for. But uh, that's going to do it for the, for this episode. Real quick one this week, um, you know, because of you know being by myself, but also wanting to wanted to get into the, into this regular season format of you know wrapping up the previous week, maybe talking about one or two things going on elsewhere in the world of sports, looking at next week, and giving you guys an idea of what to watch out for. Really trying to be a one stop shop, especially for baseball, but. Obviously, it's all work in progress, so let me know. One big piece of news that we're really excited for is that we're now on iTunes, so please like, share, subscribe to the podcast, tell all your friends about it, getting a lot of good feedback. But that's, what we th- that's what I thrive on, and that's what Matt thrives on, and we want to hear from you, so let us know what you think about of this format, what you'd like to see, what you don't want to see, and that's going to do it for me. For the Thunderbog and the Bullpen Cart Podcast, I am the G-Man. Everybody have a fun week.